Hello, everybody, and happy New Year! Winter has come. You can feel it, and I'm not just talking about the weather. There's a growing sense of dread that our democracy is on the brink of disaster, in a far more definitive way than we saw in 2016 and even in 2020. Everyone is wondering what if Donald Trump wins again. It's a question I get asked over and over again. What will happen? I don't know. Nobody knows for sure. But I've been saying for years now, America as we know it and the American way of life is at grave risk. Our republic faces an unprecedented fundamental threat. Many are treating it like the season finale of a TV show, like there's no real difference between Donald Trump and Joe Biden, when of course the two candidates are worlds apart. If our democracy fails, if Trump somehow wins the second term, everything will change. Michelle Obama knows it. I am terrified about what could possibly happen because our leaders matter. Who we select, who speaks for us, who holds that bully pulpit—it affects us in ways that I, sometimes I think people take for granted. Chris Christie knows it too. I am not going to be part of a generation willingly stands by and says it's too hard. He's too loud. He's too strong, and the only country that can defeat America is America. And the only people that can stop it are us. Chris Christie sounds like he's stumping for Biden already, and Jill Biden will also be stumping for Joe too. We have to win. We must win. We cannot let go of our democracy. And if you don't. I don't know. <laughs> I can't even think about it. No, I can't think about it. And Joe Biden most definitely knows it. Others say it's all too complicated. You're averting your eyes, hoping for the best, but you don't want to get involved. Some of you are hoping it'll just go away if you don't look at it. But that's not the case. If everyone chooses to look away and no one takes part, I can guarantee you the very worst will happen. Our democracy will be over. By definition, every American has a voice in this, and in an election so unusual and unprecedented, every vote in every state will count. Remember, in 1980, when Ronald Reagan beat Jimmy Carter, even winning states like New York. That's because there was a third-party candidate, just like Robert Kennedy is running this year. So make sure that no matter where you live, you're taking this election seriously, because every vote will count. For those of you who need clarification on this. Let me explain what's going on. Beginning in 2016, but likely earlier, a coalition of nations, networks, and powerful interests conspired against the idea of democracy, mainly American democracy. Unlike any other nation, America is founded on an idea: government by and for the people. Destroy the idea, and you destroy America itself. And who exactly is threatening democracy? I call them the enemies of democracy. The EOD. They include nation states like Russia, China, Saudi Arabia, and the UAE, and democracies like Israel, Hungary, and Turkey, that have slidden into dictatorships. You can see in those countries what happens when a dictator takes over, and a glimpse of what America might look like under Donald Trump, and it's very unappealing. The enemies of democracy include well-funded groups like the Council for National Policy and the Federalist Society, religious organizations, and networks like Opus Dei. The Catholic Knights of Malta, and the ultra-orthodox Chabad Jews, and 
a lot of billionaires. What the enemies of democracy have been doing is spending a fortune on creating a facade. So what you see on cable networks is really just a show. The real forces are taking place behind the scenes where the EOD has funded these massive organizations that are designed to divide us, that are designed to lie to us and control our narratives. They have compromised the entire GOP, the entire Republican Party. If you often sense that there's an untold story you're not hearing, trust those feelings because there's an untold story. And the biggest untold story in the news right now is the document release of the Ghislaine Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein court files. It's a sordid affair. An influential financier with a bottomless appetite for girls, his occasional girlfriend, the daughter of a notorious Mossad agent, Robert Maxwell, and for years, they've been trafficking young women to the rich and powerful. And when you follow this stuff on Twitter or read the news reports, the implication is that these famous friends, these powerful politicians and celebrities are part of some disgusting pedophile network that is preying on victims. And perhaps in some cases, that might be the case. But more often than not, when you really look at what Epstein and Maxwell did, is they hunted for these celebrities. They chased after these prominent politicians and academics, and they spent hours in nightclubs searching for just the right girl to match up to Prince Andrew, just the right girl for Bill Clinton and Bill Richardson. Of course, now none of this reduces the actual culpability or the guilt of each of those politicians. They should have known better. But in many cases, high-profile targets were being preyed upon by Epstein and Maxwell. They were being targeted, and then they were entrapped. It was on the show in 2019 that the world first found out precisely what Epstein and Maxwell had done, that they were running a compromise factory, blackmailing American politicians and public figures, and doing it for Israeli military intelligence. I was able to reveal this after interviewing a former senior commander of Israeli military intelligence, Ari ben Menashe. He confirmed the ongoing ties with Omad, Israeli military intelligence, and he had also confirmed that Robert Maxwell was a Mossad asset years earlier, so he definitely has credibility in this area. This episode is designed to look back at one of our top five episodes, but there's a lot of new information coming tonight. It's a shortened version of the original episode, and stick around because I have a lot of new information to share about what we discovered in the Epstein flight logs, plus brand new information about Clinton and Epstein and Trump and Epstein. Robert Maxwell was the spy that Ari ben Menashe was handling. And if you talk about famous spies in, in Israel's history or any history, Ari ben Menashe's uh, guy, Robert Maxwell, was about the biggest as you can get. He was a famous British publisher. He ran the Daily Mirror. He was larger than life in many ways. Ari also met Ghislaine through Robert Maxwell. Ghislaine is his daughter, of course. It turns out that Ghislaine and, and uh, Jeffrey have been having a thing for a lot longer than people imagined. We've been told only that Ghislaine and Jeffrey started seeing each other when they moved to the United States in 1991. But as you're about to hear from Ari ben Menashe, that the, their romance started way, way earlier. And it was Robert Maxwell, the famous spy, who introduced Ari ben Menashe to Jeffrey Epstein, who introduced Jeffrey Epstein to Israeli military intelligence in, in Israel, and who introduced all of them 
to a very different world that he embarked on as he changed the rules for being a spy. You have to wind your mind back 40 years. It's hard to imagine that a story that's happening today, 2019, Jeffrey Epstein, Ghislaine Maxwell, still has the same players as were around 40 years ago in another big story. But that's in fact exactly what happened. So suspend your disbelief, if you will. Let's go back to September 1980. Deep in Iranian territory, Iraqi armor chalks up fresh successes on the battlefield. It became known as the Iran-Iraq War. The United States has supported Iraq. Israel secretly supported Iran. Israel wanted to sell weapons to the Iranians and the Reagan administration agreed to let them. Ari ben Menashe was Israel's point man on the covert arms smuggling operation. He set up shop in London and recruited the foreign editor of the Daily Mirror, Nicholas Davies, and the paper's publisher, Robert Maxwell, to his team. Both men had the perfect cover for conducting arms deals while doing their day jobs. Together, they formed a front company called Aura and transferred hundreds of millions of dollars in weapons to the Iranians in secret until reporters found out and gave the world the Iran-Contra scandal. Introduced him to us and he wanted, he wanted us to accept him as part of our group. I'm not denying that we were, at the time, the group, there was Nick Davies, there was Maxwell, there was myself and our team from Israel. Mm -hmm. We were doing what we were doing. September the 22nd, Iraqi planes attacked Merabad Airport. Selling arms via the institute. There was a project. It wasn't selling arms. Right. It was transferring arms to Iran. So we're talking about Iran-Contra, basically. Yeah. We're talking about yeah. that same arms deal as yeah. Iran-Contra. Israel was very concerned about the Iraqis uh, taking over southern Iran. So Maxwell introduces you. He says, yeah. here's this young guy. Yeah. And did he go by the name Jeffrey Epstein or did he go by a different name? I remember Epstein yeah. and Jeff Epstein. Okay. Because he had a different passport that he was traveling yeah, in and out that's of. That's right. Uh, yeah, but that came later. Okay. So he says to you, here's this guy, Jeffrey Epstein, who I know from, just know from around. And your Israeli bosses have approved. Oh, okay already approved so it came down from up above so what did he do can you say what he did for you or like what kind of work did you guys do together no no he didn't do anything oh so you just you met him and that was it i met him a few times in maxwell's office that was it and did he do any arms deals for anybody else that you were aware of not like, that i know because there's the you know there's the uh i guess it was an I, he didn't he, he wasn't very competent he didn't yeah. seem to be a competent guy he didn't seem to be but he was a good looking guy and uh miss maxwell Jelaine, yeah fell for him early that early in the 80s how old was she she was oh. She was young, yeah. but most of the reporting about her and him only started in 1991 when they, when they got to the United States. Uh, yeah, I realized that, but they were already... They were already dating. So he was... Part, dating, whatever. So they were part of the, he was part of the family business. Uh, yeah, and Maxwell sort of uh, started liking him, and my theory is that Maxwell, uh, by... Because uh, Maxwell felt that this guy is going for his daughter. Right. He felt... Uh, he felt like he could bless him with some work and help yeah, him out like and all that. He felt paternal. 
paternal for him. Um, was she part of the business too? Was she involved in what you were doing over there? No, no. no. But later on, yeah. she got involved with Israeli intelligence together with him. Right. But not in the arms in Iran no business. Would you say she was uh, an, an agent as well? Was she uh, yes, someone yes. working for oh, Israeli intelligence? Oh, definitely. Military intelligence as well? Yes, yes. And um, to, when, when that happens, because uh, I have no idea how that world works, so I'm learning a little it's bit. It's happened by accident. Do, do, do you get orders and you have to do certain things, no, or is no, it more like... No, a, no, no. We get projects. With we projects. What really happened, mm-hmm. my take on it, and the later thing, is that these guys were seen as agents. Mm-hmm. They weren't co- really competent to do very much. Uh, and so um, they found a niche for themselves, blackmailing mm-hmm. American and other uh, political figures. For the Israelis? For yeah. the- so it's hard for people to understand why an is- Israel would want to get blackmail on an American. That's I'm asking a question that I, I can answer it quite probably, but, I'm, but you know, for most people it's hard for them to think about it, Israel as being uh, blackmailing their leaders in the United States. It's a very... Uh, it was quite a very uh, MO. Uh, see, sleeping around is not a crime. Maybe embarrassing, but not a crime, but sleeping with... Underage girls is a crime. It was a crime in 2000 as well, but they let him off the And it's always. So yeah. he made sure these girls were underage. published pictures of him entering Epstein's New York residence in January 2016. Around the same time, several young women tied to the billionaire also came by. And why do you think Abu Barat spent all these years associating with this man? After a while, um, you know, uh, what Mr. Mr. Um, Epstein was doing was collecting intelligence on people in the United States. So if you want to go to the U.S., if you're a high-profile politician, you want to know information about people. Mm-hmm. So he was getting that information. He was getting the dirt. Huh? He was receiving the dirt from, from Epstein, yeah. basically. Yeah, right. I, I heard that one of the things that Epstein liked about the, the relationship with military intelligence is the ability to access all this very high-tech spy gear, um, which he was able to, to use. Yeah, I'm listening stuff, yeah. I'm sure. So was, um, was Epstein and, and Barack, is that what they were doing, basically? They, they, he was part of, this, of the blackmailing scheme? Epstein was blackmailing people. But was Barack part of that uh, blackmailing scheme? I He would benefit. He benefit from it. Was he providing technology for it? He uh, was too high up yeah. to do it directly himself, but he would give the go-ahead. A special report from ABC News. For you, sources telling ABC News that Jeffrey Epstein died by suicide overnight at the Metropolitan Correctional Center in Manhattan. I spent 11 months and, and three weeks in the same place where Epstein was, and it would have been impossible to commit suicide. 
impossible. Oh, so you were at, at MCC in, in New York? I was in MCC oh, wow. in New York. Same place. No one commits suicide at MCC. It's impossible. Right. Impossible. Right. So uh, who did it then? Huh? Who did it? I'm not saying anything. All I'm saying is it's impossible. Uh, it's, 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 I mean, there's nowhere you can hang yourself in the cells. Now, well, they say off the bunk bed, right? Huh? They say he tied himself onto the bunk bed and leaned forward. And I, how do you die that way? It's not even... I don't know. Maybe he was uh, specially gifted, but <laughs> I doubt it. The other rumor is that he was given space to commit suicide, that he was sort of, and I don't know if this is, happens in, in agent world or in, in espionage, where you're like, you know, you're going to have to kill yourself because yeah, you've, lost, right. uh, you've lost usefulness. You become a and liability. I have theories about how, who wanted him dead. Probably there were quite a number of people in the States wanted him dead, but I would think mainly the Israelis. Mainly? I mean, when you yeah. look at it, yeah. they have the most to lose from all of this coming yeah, because, out. Because you, you really didn't want the stories to come out about how they were blackmailing American politicians. No. I mean, it's good to see me at a much younger age and how much uh, these past few years have taken a toll on me, but it is, it's 2019, the biggest story we've done here on narrative, I think in terms of impact. And I say that because as we look now today at these Epstein Maxwell files, there's so much vindication there in that, in those files for what we originally reported. Primarily, this story for a lot of people is about Bill Clinton. And until we came along and made it about Donald Trump, because that's in fact what it needed to be. Our research on, on Jeffrey Epstein indicated that Donald Trump and him were really good friends all the way into the 90s, that they collaborated on various business deals, and that along with Thomas Barack, another possible special agent or spy, ultimately wasn't convicted, but he was certainly charged in that area. The, the three of them were the three musketeers, if you will, in New York City, and also having a lot of fun with women and whatever. But it's even about the politicians' desires to sleep with young women. Most of these women, when you really look at them, look that young. There was very sexy women, but they were not underage in appearance. And certainly when they met a lot of these celebrities, they weren't underage at all. There might've been a couple of instances where they were underage, but I'm not trying to justify any of that. What I am trying to say is that there is uh, an attempt to make this all about the desires of Epstein and Maxwell and the desires of politicians. When it really is not about that. It's about the blackmail. It's about the fact that there was an operation to on a mass industrial scale, compromise our politicians in a way that they couldn't do their jobs, that they couldn't execute the policies that you had elected them to do. So let me give you something that isn't, let's call it a hypothetical, but isn't actually that hypothetical. In, in, in Bill Clinton's case, Epstein was assigned to Bill Clinton early on in his career in the United States because they were worried that Bill Clinton was going to do a very easy deal for the Palestinians and ultimately force Israel into a deal with the Palestinians that Israel didn't want. So they put Epstein on Clinton as an early fundraiser. And then later on, he became many other things to Clinton. But ultimately, he was on, on his fundraising committee initially, compromising him. Now, that happened for many years. I still think about the Monica Lewinsky scandal and what these guys did for other politicians and maybe there's a connection there that we still have never heard of. Maybe there's a Monica Lewinsky connection to 
Epstein or Maxwell or Israeli military intelligence. Who knows? It does seem to me that he was a target well before he was even in power and that Jeffrey Epstein was assigned to Bill Clinton for, uh, to make sure that the, perhaps the Oslo Accords wouldn't be instituted correctly or that there wouldn't be a, a successful peace deal that to, uh, Bill Clinton could assign. I'm going to say that's hypothetical for now, but it's not completely hypothetical. It's based on some comments I've heard over the years. And so when you think about something as massive as that, as the Israeli-Palestinian peace deal, and then you think about George Mitchell, who was also involved in some very high-profile peace negotiations. You think of the amount of secrets that came into Bill Clinton's hands and Secretary Clinton's hands. And, and you start to see the scope of all of this, Bill Richardson's involvement in all of these events that we know of so well in history. And these are just the politicians we know of. So you could really see that there is a framework here. that This was not a corruption of children. Well, of course it was too. It was that. But it was a corruption of the entire political, celebrity, entertainment, sports universe of America. They went after all the biggest names and they tried to corrupt everybody. They tried to get as much uh, dirt on everybody so they could control everything. And you think about the ambition of something like that and the fact that they were able to execute that is quite, quite remarkable. The fact that it, it was allowed to continue when we knew at some point that it was what it was you know, ultimately a blackmail scheme. And so we fast forward to today where we've got Mike Johnson, a potential Russian asset who's now the Speaker of the House, as we discussed many weeks ago here. And there's a great clip I'm about to play you from Tim Burchett. Tim Burchett got into that scuffle with Kevin McCarthy a few weeks ago. I've never heard a politician be as blunt about what happens to Republican politicians. So I'm going to play you this clip. He's talking to a right-wing podcaster. But Tim lets it be known exactly what Republican politicians are going through on a day-to-day -day basis. They're confronted by what seems like an industrial-scale blackmail operation designed to compromise the entire party. I'm going to let you listen to this. This is Tim Burchett talking to The Benny Show. And let's listen to what he has to say about the way the honey traps are set at Russians. Let's be honest. Powerful people in this country, they write the big checks. And they're the ones out on the tarmac when the president comes and visits and, and whichever party they're in. They always either out on the tarmac or in the private room. They're the ones that write the big checks. They don't care who's in. They hate this country. They hate what we're about, but they love their portfolios and they love their money more than they do anything else. And they protect it and they protect the people that do that. And by doing so, they'll honeypot. The Russians do that. And I'm sure members of Congress have been caught up. Why in the world? Would good conservatives vote for crazy stuff like what we've been seeing out of Congress? It's how it works. You're visiting, you're out of the country or out of town or you're at a motel or bar at, in D.C. And some, whatever you're into, women or men or whatever, comes up and they're very attractive and they're laughing at your jokes. And, they, and you're buying them a drink. Next thing you know, you're in the motel room with them naked. And next thing, you're about to make a key vote. And what happens? Some well-dressed person comes up and whispers in your ear, hey, man, there's tapes out on you. Were you in a motel room on whatever with whoever? And then you're like, oh, and he said, you really ought not be voting for this thing. I mean, what do they do? It's human nature. And no man or no woman actually is an island. And they know what to get at. I've been in this game my whole life. I spent 16 years in the state legislature in Tennessee and eight years as county mayor. And now I'm in my fifth year of Congress. But it, it's just... it. 
the stakes are higher, but the game is still the same. Isn't that telling that we are in a world now where these GOP politicians are so corrupted that they can't even do their jobs? And I, I believe that to my core, that Donald Trump has the Republican Party by the you-know-what, and he's not letting them go. This is the Republican Party that we have now, a sort of cultist Republican Party that is engineered to just attack Donald Trump's enemies. And how does that happen? How does that happen over the years? It happens over the years because Israelis and the Russians together had this Epstein-Maxwell operation to corrupt all these people. Now, I've reported to you before that Epstein and Maxwell worked for OMAD, that's Israeli military intelligence, and that's now a proven fact, I think. No one can really dispute that, although some people do try. But they also worked for the Russians, like their father, like Robert Maxwell. These guys were operating for the GRU as well. In Robert's case, they were in, involved with the KGB. So there's some interesting analysis that we've been doing just on the flight logs of Jeffrey Epstein's plane, because it is very revealing that the things we found out about where the flights were going to I point to the same two nations, Russia and Israel. The most destinations were 11 for Israel and Russia, respectively. The, you know, the Kremlin has always had an affinity for Israel, so it's not surprising. But there's 11 flights each to Russia and to Israel. And it's fascinating to me that the Russian legs included St. Petersburg and Moscow. And it's just fascinating to me that just the sheer numbers of it all tell the story right there of who he was reporting to. He was reporting to the Israelis and he was reporting to the Russians. And the two, they've got a long history along of working together. They've cooperated through the Refusnik years, through the pogrom years, you name it. They've had a, a close relationship. And today, Putin and Bibi Netanyahu have a very close relationship. So you can see how that thread of this Russian-Israeli uh, intelligence operation to compromise Americans, compromise American politicians began so early and continues until today with the same intelligence agencies that were responsible for the 2016 attack on, on democracy and probably the same ones that are involved in the disinformation assaults that we're seeing even today. So in terms of uh, Israel and Russia, there was 11 plus trips between 1999 and 2005. Among the passengers that went there on a couple of occasions, Bill Clinton went with uh, Jeffrey Epstein to Russia along with Kevin Spacey and Chris Tucker. Now, what was he doing there? I don't know. But did we know that the former president was on a trip to Russia in, two, in, the, in the early 2000s? To Israel, Jeffrey Epstein took 12 plus trips from 1999 to 2005. Maybe that's not that many, but along the way, he took Ehud Barak with him on a couple of trips. And they also had a, a couple of flights, which also had unnamed staff. What is that? What are the unnamed staff? Are they just additional spies being sent back and forward to work with Jeffrey Epstein? It's unclear to us who they were. In contrast, the Saudi Arabians, they had three Saudi trips recorded on Jeffrey Epstein's flights. But that did include some royals. Now, with Clinton, between 2002 and 2003, in just one year period, maybe it's two year period, let's call it a two year period, it, Clinton went on 11 trips with Jeffrey Epstein. And this is after he was probably compromised involving Monica or whatever else. It was probably after that all happened that Bill Clinton still connected with Jeffrey Epstein on a really friendly basis. And I don't know why that is. But you'd think the guy compromised you. You'd probably not uh, continue to have this friendship. But maybe he didn't know. Or maybe there's a lot of money that was being offered to Bill Clinton through the Clinton Foundation, which Jeffrey Epstein always used to say was his idea. 11 total Clinton flights between 2002 and 2003, according to the manifest. 
it included trips to Asia, the Middle East, Africa, sometimes in a single trip. So some of these were very vast trips that, you know, took, took on Africa, took on Asia. And one of them, Hillary Clinton was on one of those trips and she stayed in Asia for some conference while the, the boys, it seemed, went on a continued trip to parts of Asia and part of Africa. Did Bill Clinton lose his ability to understand that Jeffrey Epstein was compromising him? Did he not know ever at all that he was being compromised? And does he, does he know it today? Does he know the extent of it? Certainly in, in any public comments, Bill Clinton has always said that it's been four trips to the island and that was it. But let me just tell you a little bit about the difference between Donald Trump and Bill Clinton in terms of Epstein. Two former presidents, very distinct guys, one's a Democrat, one's a Republican. Their relationship with Jeffrey Epstein is different. Trump was a mobster in New York and very much in cahoots with Jeffrey Epstein in many things, including chasing women, but also in various schemes and business deals they had. You name it. These guys were not uh, unfamiliar with each other in a business sense. Remember that Donald Trump did the Miss Teen America contest. There's always been questions about what happened to the girls there. We've had people on our show discuss the controversial events. So I, when you look at uh, Epstein and Donald Trump, you have to ask the question, they were more business partners. Bill Clinton was someone that they needed to compromise, that Epstein and Maxwell knew they had to get on tape with some young women in order to keep him in check. I'm not saying that did happen. It seems like maybe it did. But Donald Trump, they didn't really need to compromise him, although maybe they did. But I don't think that was the point. I think in their case, they were mostly working with him or at least allied with him. And that's why, you know, they were wild and fancy free in the 1990s. And that's why we didn't see Donald Trump so much at the island, because it wasn't really that crowd. It wasn't really the mobster crowd that they were trying to compromise. They were trying to compromise the celebrities and politicians. So this idea that somehow Donald Trump is saving kids by exposing Epstein is completely nonsense. He was there at the founding of Epstein. And when you look at the genealogy, the mobology of both Jeffrey Epstein and Donald Trump, you'll find a lot of the same people. This was meant to be a top five countdown of the shows today. There were four other shows in our top five countdown, and we will get to them probably as in one show in the near future and count down the top five. But if you missed them, they're in our Substack and they're in our Patreon. Those are really important episodes for understanding how we got to where we are today. And this is what I was trying to do in this opening episode is just bring people up to speed about this enormous universe of operations that have taken place to bring us up to 2024. We had the Jeffrey Epstein Maxwell operation. We had the coronavirus operation, which we now know is a, a, a accidental lab leak. There was the idea of this a revelation of this enemies of democracy and how they have been working their way through various democracies around the world, and particularly Israel. And we see what's happening in Israel right now. There's also revelations by Noel Kasser in our top five, which talk about uh, the drug use of Donald Trump and a history of, of a substance abuse and what he was like behind the scenes at those talent, pageant con- talent and pageant contests. And those, those events show you that kind of person he was and how he treated women, which is how he treats women today. And so you see that in concert with all these kind of women that were being sexually tormented and abused and and you've got a real sense of the kind of people we're dealing with here as they were trying to compromise American politicians. This was a blackmail scheme where the targets, the victims here are not just the young girls. The victims here are the politicians and the victims are the voters, the American voters 
who had their power taken away from them by this compromising. Every time a politician was compromised, what you voted for was discarded. And so we have to understand that in this context, this operation, the Epstein-Maxwell operation was massive. It took down our ability to operate as a democracy for many years because so many people were compromised and probably still are today, if you think about it. So keep that in mind. The blackmail is the thing. The blackmail of politicians is the thing. It's not about the abuse of the young women, although that is a very credible and important thing to be concerned about. It's the blackmail that everyone should focus on. And certainly the way we now know that Epstein took 11 flights to Russia and, and then 11 flights to Israel certainly underlines what I've been reporting for many years, that he is an Israeli military uh, asset and has been and was, because he's dead now, but the relationship also extended to the Russians. And so when you see a Donald Trump showing up in Helsinki next to a Vladimir Putin, and maybe he's a little bit shamed by what was shown to him, it's quite possible that some video showed up in that conversation and maybe... And maybe that video originated, who knows where? Maybe it originated right in the Epstein files, who knows? But that Putin would have had access to all, the, all that content and the Israelis would have had access to all that content and they would have used it where necessary to convince people to do whatever they're doing. And we think about the House Speaker today, Mike Johnson, we think he's in the Kremlin camp. Look at the way he's operating. Look at the obstructionist way he's operating. Look at the entire GOP caucus right now and the awful way they're operating. It's because they're taking their orders from Russia and they have no choice because if they don't, the dirt will start flowing out. And that's what they know will happen. I, I have some sympathy for those uh, Republican representatives, but not a lot. Now, those guys should resign. We have a t challenge here because when you look at it, if you look at the GOP as a Russian-held Kremlin party, if you look at it that way, boy, is this election important because we could just elect the Russians into the entire executive branch and legislative branch come November. And that is not going to be a, a good ending. I encourage you all to take this election as seriously, and it's certainly going to be a big year for us. Let me add one more thing here. At, we now have a Substack at narrative.substack.com. That may go to our main narrative.org domain at some point. Please check it out because it's different than Patreon. I don't want people just moving from from one platform to another if you're getting the same content. But if you're making a choice of where you want to live within the narrative, and I hope you will donate to narrative and I hope you'll subscribe to narrative this year. It's so important that we can continue to do this work. Just think of all the stories in our top five. Imagine those five stories had not been exposed. Imagine we were still here in a world where we didn't think China was a part of the enemies of democracy, whether it's $8 a month or 10 or whatever it is you decide to subscribe at. Think about that money as being incredibly valuable to history and to the record. And that's how we get to spend. This is how we win at the end of the day. We win by investigating them and revealing who they are. So Substack is narrative.substack.com, patreon.com forward slash narrative. And on YouTube, you can join as well by going to youtube.com forward slash at the at sign and then narrative. I look forward to fighting this battle for democracy. This is going to be an incredibly important year. I hope and pray that all of you will be up for the fight. It is going to be vital that we all spend time and energy in solving this problem that Donald Trump and company have created in America. We just have maybe 10 months of democracy left. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got some good information out of this. And I appreciate you so much for being here because without you, there would be no narrative. And without narrative, there'd be no opportunity for us to 
to be able to do this the way we need to do this. I'm just looking at some of the comments here, just so I don't want to miss anything. It's on YouTube. People are saying, I'm confounded. We are here again after everything. I can't believe we're here again after everything either. It's stunning to me that we are back to where we began. And, and this is just the reality of this situation. These forces are very powerful. They are intending to take out America. They are aiming at the core of who we are. We never won this war. We delayed this war and now we're still fighting it. And I want people to understand that we are still very much in the throes of this battle. And we're not, we never really won. We never really got out of it. And when you can see the manipulation of the courts, when you can see how people are manipulating every single bit of news out there, the disinformation, the misinformation, boy, you can tell that we are still very much in the heart of it. The court cases, all of that, I wouldn't put too much into, into that. It would be great, wouldn't it, if we won those court cases and everything was over, but it's not, it's not. This is, this is an incredibly sophisticated, multi-leveled, multinational operation designed to destroy the biggest superpower in the world. That's what we're dealing with. So if you think just the ordinary, hey, let's just show up and, and you know, protest or let's just vote, that's going to work. There's got to be a lot more in, that's going on. And I think, I believe there is a lot more going on. Thankfully to our president, uh, Joe Biden, who's doing an immense job taking this on. But we are, this is far from over. Anything can happen in November. Anything, really.